what I'd like to speak to you about this morning, um, I want to use a football analogy. I want to talk about playing happy football. Happy football, all right? I could uh, use another word. I could talk about becoming one, being unified. And uh, the scripture that I've chosen to um, look at is John 17, verse 20. We're going we're gonna to look at that this morning as a basis. Um, but just to kind of set the scene, if you like, um, over the last while, because we felt like God has been doing something new and fresh in the church, we've been doing this little series called Tending Our Roots. And if you remember, I started talking about uh, a couple of months ago now, why bother with church? Why do we need to get together? What does church look like? What, what, why does the Bible encourage us to get together as communities? Uh, Clive did a couple of weeks where we, he looked at worship. Why do we worship? What is worship? Uh, Helen has done a couple of weeks looking at the whole theme of grace, de- developing a culture of grace in the church. What does that look like? And in a sense, I'm going to carry on this morning with that, uh, looking at some of our root kind of values, if you like. And I would like to look at this morning this thing of unity, becoming, uh, Jesus used these words, becoming perfectly one. Isn't that an amazing thought? Becoming perfectly one. Playing happy football, all right? It's the end of the season uh, and uh, this, this weekend, some of the teams that were in the championship got relegated out of the championship to League One. Some of the next couple of weeks, some of the teams that have been playing in the Premier Division are going to be relegated down to the championship. Yes, careful, careful. Sorry, Richard, it is your first day back and already I'm speaking about Norwich. <laughs> uh, but I can tell you this... Uh, Saracens, our rugby team, North London rugby team, scored 601 points this season so far, which is the most that any team has ever scored in the Premiership. I want to say this to you. To score 601 points, you have to be a happy team. To remain in the Premier Division, you have to be a happy team. And isn't it, uh, I remember after one of the World Cups, the Brazilian guy, I think it was the the year that Ronaldo, that, that year that Brazil won, the football World Cup, at the end of the, the, the interviews, they were talking to the coach, and he said, they said, you know, you guys, Brazil keeps winning the World Cup, how do you do it? And he said, we play happy football. I love that. We play, our football is happier than anybody else's football, that's why we win all the time. And there's, there's great truth in that, isn't there? If we can, you know that teams that perform the best are the happiest teams, the most joyful teams, and joy and happiness only comes when there's unity. And so I want to speak to you this morning about becoming perfectly one. This is what Jesus prays, and if you've got your finger in John 17, Jesus prays this in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they might also be in us, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, and here's a little phrase, that they may become perfectly one, So what's the reason for our unity? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Isn't that an amazing, encouraging scripture? 
And as I've been thinking about it this week, what I find most amazing, what is an incredible motivation for me, is that Jesus is saying the same unity that the Godhead enjoys, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the same unity, the same community that the, the Godhead enjoys, He wants that for us as His church. Isn't that a breathtaking thought? There's headship in the, in, the, in the Trinity. The Father is the head. And yet Jesus and the Holy Spirit are co-laboring um, together with the Father, equally, without, without competition, without jockeying for position. There's perfect unity in the Godhead. And Jesus says, that same perfect unity, I long that my belief, my, those that come after me, the friends that I have in in, 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 uh, in, in God, those that are my church called together, that that same perfect unity they would enjoy. Man, that's an incredible thought. And so I want to speak to you about unity, about playing happy football this morning. I know this, and for any of you that have been in church life um, for any number of years, unity is such an intangible thing, it's such a beautiful thing, it's such a fragrant thing, and everyone can tell when it's there, and you can instantly tell when it's not. Isn't it? It's like uh, Bill Hybel says this in terms of leadership teams. He says there's three things that leadership teams need to um, give themselves to. One is the calling that God has for them. Two is the character that all of us need to develop so that we can maintain our calling, that there's character. And then he uses this third C. He says there's the th- then the thing of chemistry. <laughs> Chemistry is such an intangible thing, isn't it? But you know when it is there. You, there's this chemistry, there's just, just this connection, there's this kind of lovely fragrance that you can tell instantly that it's there. You can tell it in certain families. Have you noticed that? When you go and visit someone for, for a meal, there's just this wonderful fragrance that speaks of a unity in the family. And in the same way, you can walk into some churches and you just feel, you can smell it, the fragrance of Christ. Is there. Why? Because it's one. People are one. And you can tell instantly when it's not there. And I have to say that I'm not speaking to you this morning as someone who's perfect in this area. Uh, I find it in my life, in my ministry, it's one of the most intangible things to, to try and um, work towards. It's one of the most difficult things to achieve and maintain, and it requires much grace. I can say that to you. So I'm not speaking to you today as an expert. I'm speaking to you as a student. I'm speaking to you as one who's learning this together with you. And um, I just know that when it is present, the atmosphere is incredibly beautiful and fragrant. And when it's not present, the atmosphere is ugly, unforgiving, vindictive, and no one wants to be there. Yeah? So I want to say, as a leadership team, we've been talking about these things and trusting that one of the hallmarks of this church community is going to be that we are perfectly becoming one. And we are on the way. We're on this journey. And I, I believe God is doing an amazing thing. But I, I, I want to say to you that we, we have to give ourselves to unity, first because of what God has done for us, that we can work out something with each other. But it needs to become something that we pursue with all of our hearts, all of us together, and I really trust it will become a hallmark of this church as it grows. And so he has some ideas for you, um, and I'm not trying to, um, like I said, I'm not speaking as an expert. I have, I have uh, in my own life had to admit 
that some of the, lead, the, the, the teams I've led have not achieved unity, but by the same token, some of the teams I have led have achieved unity. And so for me, it just speaks again, this thing of unity, it's so intangible, it's so difficult, but actually it's possible because of Christ. It's possible because of the Holy Spirit, and it requires some things of all of us, and I believe as we give ourselves to those things, we will see it in an increasing measure, all right? And so this is, um, I really hope you're going to be encouraged this morning that we will be those that play happy football. And I, I want to say this to you also, even as we aim as the, at these things as a church community, we might not always get it right. Occasionally we might miss the, tar- the target, but I just pray that they will never discourage us, they will never um, distract us. We want to give ourselves to these things with all of our determination, all of our hearts that we might be a great encouragement to others. Because I do know this, that for, for me, one of the most um, um, de-energizing things to live with in your life is broken relationships. Would you agree? It's the most de-energizing thing. When relationships are whole and when relationships are healthy, man, you feel energized. <laughs> you feel so energized. We had a thing this week where we were chatting to some people about... Um, the, the role of, of women in ministry. And I came away just crying out to God and saying, oh God, please help your church. <laughs> please help your De-energize me, the conversation. It really did. I believe this, and I want to be on record to say this to all the ladies here. I believe that in God, it is the requirement of every church and every member of every church to release women in the church into the gift that they have. All right? All of us. <laughs> we are created equal before God, men and women. And I want to say this, giftingness, giftedness and authority are not the same thing. All right? We have to release gift, gifted men, uh, women and gifted men in the church to the greatest measure that we can. All right? And it's possible to do that without violating authority in the church. It's possible. Of course it's possible. And so I, we do not hold in this church that women do not share from the pulpit. All right? Why? Because there's some gifted ladies that have got something to say. Do you believe that women can... I'm getting onto a complete tangent here. But anyway, <laughs> do you believe that women can speak under the power of the Holy Spirit? I believe women can speak under the power of the Holy Spirit. Whether you call it preaching or sharing is irrelevant to me. What you want is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want in the church. We want the church to be full of joy, full of power in the Holy Spirit. And whether it's me one Sunday speaking or it's a lady the next Sunday speaking, what we want is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what builds the church. And so I want to say this, and some I might be shot for saying this, but giftedness is always more important than structural authority. Always. And we want to have a structural authority that is godly. We want to have order in the church. But giftedness is always more important than structural authority. We want the, I could put it to you another way. Do you want complete order in the meetings, or do you want the life of God? <laughs> We want the life of God. We want the joy of the Holy Spirit. We want, we want happiness. We want ministry. We want healing. We want deliverance. We want people to be born again. That's how it comes, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you, ladies, 
not to hold back in what God has gifted you to do, that there's always order in the, the body of Christ, and we will give ourselves to finding that radical middle ground if, as we can. I'll speak about the radical middle. This is the radical mi- middle, full of word, the Word of God, full of the Spirit of God. Holding to order, but being full of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay, so, my little rant over for the week. <laughs> so I just want to give you a couple of things this morning, um, talking around the thing of unity and being full of the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to point you to Ephesians. Can you go just with me to Ephesians chapter 4? And I, I will try not to be, I won't be long this morning. All right. Ephesians chapter 1, the first, I'm just going to read the first five, six verses. It says, Paul writing to the Ephesian church, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. And grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So if we want to play happy football, if we want to be a team that's joyful and full of life and full of the power of the Holy Spirit, this is where it starts. It starts because of what God has done for us. We sang about it this morning. It beautifully led us in terms of the worship. We are first reconciled to God because of the blood of Jesus, because of what God has done for us. And secondly, we are reconciled then because of what God has done for us this way. We are reconciled to each other this way. Amen? And so, here Paul encourages us to make every effort to maintain unity of the Spirit, both in the local church and between local churches, And that's only possible because of what Christ has done for us. Amen? So that's where we start, all right? It doesn't mean, unity does not mean this. It does not mean complete agreement. It doesn't mean conformity either. It doesn't mean that to be unified, everyone that walks through the doors or joins this church community must dress the same, must look the same, holds to everything perfectly in exactly the same way. That's not unity. Because of the cross, we can be united, even though there's diversity, we can be united as we become mature in our love for God and our love for each other. And so Paul carries on, and if you just look down further in Ephesians 4, the second thing he says is that um, he's encouraged us already to be those that are full of gentleness and uh, think of others, etc. And then he says this, he says in verse, I'm not sure what it is because I deleted the verses off my thing here. It just says, um, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. Let each of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one body. So, the primary, one of the primary ways that we maintain unity in a church community is simply this, is that we speak the truth to each other, 
It's so simple, isn't it? We speak the truth to each other. Rather than speaking about other people, we speak to people. I found this over the years of leading a church. It's amazing. Sometimes when people come and speak, and uh, I'm learning not to tolerate this anymore, but they come and speak to you, and they kind of share their grievance that they have about some other person in the church. And you know what I find that does to me? It makes me start to feel angry in the same way. You take on the grievance of that person if you allow them to share it with you. So I've never had a problem with Clive. And then some person comes to me and says, do you know what Clive's done to me? He's done this to me. And suddenly I get all angry. And I think, well, geez, Clive? I'm just picking on Clive. Why would you do that? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I could pick anyone's name here. When you share some your grievance that you have with some other person without speaking to them first, it pollutes everybody. Now suddenly everybody's opinion of that person is slightly tainted and warped and bent out of shape because you took on that grievance. No, no, we don't want to, that's not what we, we are called to do. Paul encourages us, we speak the truth to each other, our neighbor, and so if there's a grievance that you have, as best as you can, you go to the person and say, listen, I just need to chat to you about this, and I want to speak about this thing. He carries on in uh, verse 29, Paul, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. Isn't that beautiful? We want to be those that encourage each other. We want to give ourselves to this heart that wants to encourage other people, not, build, not tear each other's down, to, to tear other people down. And it says that it may give grace to those who hear. Isn't that a wonderful thing about how you want to encourage someone? You want to give grace to them. You want to encourage them. We need to find grace every day in our lives. And here Paul is saying, you can speak in such a way that either gives grace to someone and helps them, or robs grace from their life, and they feel discouraged. No, we want to be great encouragers. And so he defines it further. He says, uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. I love that. Be kind. Wouldn't this be the testimony of this church, wouldn't it be great if people spoke of this church and said, Town Church, that's a kind church. Man, they kind. Oh yeah, I love that. That's what I want. When people walk through the stores, that they would experience kindness in this place. That we would experience kindness in this community. And, and he says, be tender-hearted, forgiving to one another. Why? Just as Christ has forgiven you. Yeah? I've said this often. Sometimes we want grace for ourselves. I'm so glad, God, that you've forgiven me. I'm so grateful, God, that you've forgiven me. But we don't want to give that grace to other people. <laughs> we hold grudges. We say, oh, no, I'm, you know, I'm never going to forgive you for that. No, no, as God has forgiven us for this, this way, we forgive each other that way. Is that easy? No, it's not. Is it possible? Yes. Why? Because God gives us grace to do that. And I would like to, I'm going to look at that um, a little bit later. And then the third thing I want to say is that um, there's some encouragements that Jesus brings in Matthew. He says this in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. <laughs> this is what Jesus says. This is how we, we help to resolve conflict in church communities. If your brother sins against you, go to him, just you and him. If he listens, you have gained your brother. 
But if he does not, take one or two others along with you, that every charge might be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. This is Jesus speaking. This is really um, a subject I wonder how it would go down if we really practiced this in churches in the 21st century, how it really would go down (laughs) in the community, isn't it? I mean, basically he's saying resolve it one-on-one, saying if you can't do that, take two of your friends with you, resolve it with them, and then I've never seen a place where this is practiced, tell it to the church. (laughs) Well, what he's saying is, what he's saying is, is that there's there's a community that helps to discipline itself. Isn't he, isn't he what he's saying? He's saying actually there's a responsibility that we all have that when we're trying to create a loving community that actually when people behave in a way that is not loving, that gently amongst the, the members of the church community, the church community begins to say, actually that's not what we value. That's not what we're aiming at. We're aiming at love. We're aiming at forgiveness. We're, we're aiming at acceptance. Actually when you speak like that, it doesn't help us to Get there. Please don't speak like that. That's not what we want to do here. I was speaking to a friend this, this week who said, um, in the company, the culture of their company is, um, is where people don't swear. And, and no one has ever instructed anyone not to swear, but they just know that when they come into the room and uh, they are working together, foul language is just not the way they work because it's a value for their company. No one's had to tell them. So when, you, when new people come into the company, they found out pretty soon that actually swearing is just not the way you communicate. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? That's the beautiful sense of community. What if this church could become a place where actually forgiveness is such a culture with us that when people come in and there's unforgiveness, they just know that it's not the right way to respond because it's in us. It's how we live. It's what we value. Are you with me? What a beautiful picture of what God can do with his people. All right? So that's what Jesus says. And he also says in Matthew 5, he says, if you're offering a gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother. Isn't that amazing? And then he says, come and offer your gift. What does that mean? It means when we come to worship, if we can, in any way, if we remember we've done something to offend someone else, we just go and say, look, sorry, mates, I want to put right with you, and then we worship. Yeah? There's an integrity in that, isn't there? Yeah, and so that's what uh, Jesus is pointing us to. And then I want to say, fourthly, uh, Proverbs 19, Proverbs is a wonderful book full of practical advice for us if we want to live a godly life. Uh, Proverbs 19:11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is our glory to overlook an offense. It's our glory to overlook an offense. Isn't that amazing? It's our glory to overlook when people offend us. <laughs> Man, that challenges me. It's our glory. It's our glory because we are in Christ. Part of our glory is to overlook things that offend us. Man, that's challenging, isn't it? So basically, I believe that points us to this little thing, that minor offenses in the church, it's our glory to overlook them. And actually, when we overlook those little offenses, what are we doing? We're promoting love. 
We're saying, we, uh, for us, love is the highest value, and so because of love, I'm going to overlook that little thing that you did. Yeah? Let's, let's trust God that that can be something of how this community goes forward. And then, uh, Matthew says again, it says, be reconciled to your brother. Man, I found this. Um, forgiveness is one thing. <laughs> Reconciliation is another. Yeah? We have to do all that we can to restore broken relationships in the church. We must do all that we can. Uh, and perhaps when we, uh, the relationship is restored, perhaps you in your life, you might have uh, something that's gone back many years. You might have been offended in another church. You might have someone damaged you in another church or whatever. You can do all you can to resolve that in a godly way and to be reconciled. But I've come to realize this true too, that sometimes... Perfect reconciliation is only going to happen in heaven. And you know, I have, to be, I, have, I have to be happy to live like that. Doing all that I can to make sure that I'm reconciled to people, people that might have offended me or I've offended someone else. Uh, but sometimes it's only possible to be perfectly reconciled in heaven. And maybe for some relationships, I'm going to have to wait until heaven to be perfectly reconciled. But I'll do all that I can on earth to live reconciled with all of you. Amen? And so that's what we aim at. And that's the culture of heaven. I, I believe that's the culture of heaven. Uh, um, another little encouragement in 1 John 3, uh, verse 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus, and we love one another just as he commanded us. And that's such a small little word, love, isn't it? Such a small word, love, that we love one another. But it's so massive in its implications. And so I want to encourage you that as we try and play happy football together, that um, we don't in any way initiate or participate uh, in any kind of speaking that is not going to build people up, any kind of gossip. And actually that we challenge uh, each other in that area to devote ourselves to a culture that honors people and... uh, respects people for who they are in Christ, and I believe that is the culture of heaven. An honoring culture. A lifting culture that lifts others up and says, I respect you because of who you are in Christ. You're a son and daughter of the Most High, and I'm going to honor you. I'm going I'm to respect you. In that. I'm not going to say anything that tries to tear you down or bring you down. Amen? That's, I believe one of the things that God wants us to move towards as a church and encourage each other in. Next thing I want to say is this. Unity means, and if we're trying to play happy football, unity means that we might hold different opinions from what is being taught, for example. But unity demands that if we hold different opinions, we are not actively divisive by spreading dissension in the church on issues of theology or leadership or how decisions are made. Yeah? That's unity. I always remember this um, little illustration. Remember Schwarzkopf was the general that um, led the American forces in, uh, what was this? Desert Storm. Desert Storm. And I remember reading a little thing about his team, because he had a great team of guys around him that um, helped for them to do so well in those uh, battles. And he said this, we, in, our, in, our, in our times, our staff meetings, 
we have great debates, and we, we disagree, and we have our opinions that are strong. And he said this, but when, when people leave the room, they own the decision that was made as if it was their own decision. Now that is a good team. Yeah? They own the decision like it's their own. So we might disagree on some of the details, but once we make a decision and we say, this is what God has called us to as a church, we're going to aim at forgiveness. Everyone owns that in their hearts and says, yep, that is what we're going for. Yeah? And we might not get it right all the time, and we might sometimes have to apologize and say, sorry, I didn't get it right. But it's in our hearts together we're saying, this is what we're aiming for. Unity and forgiveness, the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, power. <laughs> These are the things we're aiming for. Amen. Okay, uh, and I just want to make a passing comment in terms of um, conflict resolution, and uh, I love social media. I'm a Twitter person. I'm a Facebook person. I want to just say this to you, though, uh, and this is just not a law, but this is a, an encouragement. Don't use Twitter and Facebook to resolve conflict or to say things. Please, man, that is so stupid. I'm amazed some of the things people put on Facebook. Absolutely amazed. Like intimate details of their life, they just put on Facebook. Like everyone can see it. What? You can't be serious. Be wise, guys, ladies, gentlemen. Let's be wise. Uh, I found this in terms of leading the church. When, when you have to write an email to someone, the relationship is already in big, big trouble. When you have to write a letter to them, say, I'm writing you this letter, da, la, 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 la. the relationship is already broken if you can't speak to that person anymore. We don't want to be those that send emails to our friends. Yeah? I'm writing you this email just to tell you, la, 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 la. I mean, there is a sense of we need to have some things formally in place. I'm not, I'm not disregarding that. But if we have to write emails to people, we are not relating to people. Are we? That's not unity. <laughs> Is it easy to speak face-to-face -face with someone? No. No, it's not. Because there are unreasonable people in the world. Did you know that? There are unreasonable people in the world. There are unreasonable people in the church as well. I've discovered that. Any reasonable person will be able to speak face-to-face. -face, but there are definitely <laughs> unreasonable people. That whatever you do, they will just not listen. So sometimes you have to write an email. That's the last resort, is to write the email. Let's do all we can to be loving, speaking face-to-face, -face, encouraging, saying we're going to do the hard thing, all right? Because God has done the thing for us. And so I, I, I want to just finish this little section by saying this. Psalm 103, 133, such a beautiful psalm. Do you know it? It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit, the oil of the anointing. It's not just like a little drop of the Holy Spirit. It's like when there's unity, God so commands His blessing that His Holy Spirit is poured out and it's just flowing down like this. I have a friend um, who preached this message once, and um, we were talking about the oil of the Holy Spirit. And to illustrate his, his point, he got his, the worship leader, a guy called Finney, he got him to stand in this big bucket, this big 
um, cast iron bath. And he said, when God says he wants to anoint us with oil, this is what he means. <laughs> and he picked up this 20-liter thing of sunflower oil. And he just, he put it on his head like that, and he just poured this oil all over this poor guy. He was absolutely drenched. He was just like oil everywhere. And he said, that is oil running down on his face. That is oil running down. Can you see the extravagance of how God wants to anoint us with his Holy Spirit? I thought it was a very, very powerful powerful picture. And this is what it's saying in Psalm 133, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon that falls on Mount Zion, for there the Lord has commanded his blessing forevermore. When we are unified, when we are becoming perfectly one, when we are playing happy football, everyone can smell it, everyone can see it. It's like the oil of the Holy Spirit is poured upon us. It is running down upon us. Everyone can sense it, and there amazing things happen. Amen. And so to conclude, I use this word often, uh, and I want to use it again, and I want to try and define it as well. To do this, to live like this, is impossible except for the grace of God, all right? Except for the grace of God. And we can't live without the grace of God. We can't earn the grace of God. You know these things. But when you receive the grace of God, you realize how much you've needed it all along, isn't it? And you've, you realize, well, how could I have ever lived without the grace of God up until this point? And I think this. I think in my own life, when you've experienced unforgiveness, people have, un, uh, have pushed unforgiveness towards you. When you've, when you've experienced a lack of grace when people have been like that to you, when you've experienced a lack of kindness, when people have been unkind towards you, when you've experienced gossip and people have said ugly things about you that you, you know are not true, then you begin to appreciate the grace of God in a deeper and deeper measure. Then when you have a revelation of the grace of God, you want to say in your own life, you want to say, God, I never want to put that on anyone else. I never want to have that done... I don't want to be responsible for speaking like that over anybody else because I know how ugly and how painful and how destructive it's been towards me. I want to be a conduit of your grace towards other people. I'm going to do all that I can to speak kindly. I'm going to do all that I can to think the best of people. I'm going to do all that I can to be someone who loves others practically because you know what? I know how much that's done for me and I know what your grace has done for me. That's why I keep saying, if you've never experienced grace for your own life, I want to encourage you to come into relationship with Jesus because when you've experienced it for your own life, you can give it away. You can't give away what you don't know. I know I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel. I know. <laughs> I know I've hurt people. I know. But you know what? When I know how much God has forgiven me, oh man, and I feel free on the inside, I want to give that away now. I want to say, I want all of you to experience the grace of God because I've experienced it in my own life in such an amazing way. Let that church, this church become a gracious, gracious place. Grace is the most powerful force in the universe. And I would argue, I would say to you, it's the most beautiful word in the universe. But I also would say to you this, that I am convinced it's overused in the church and it's underdefined in the church. 
And people like to just splab it out and say, oh, it's the grace of God. And suddenly this word grace covers just like everything. <laughs> and I, wanted, I just want to define what I mean by grace as we look at unity, as we look at forgiveness, as we look at uh, becoming those that play happy football, all right? Yeah, six little things. They're kind of, they're kind of um, not definitions, but different types of grace. Grace expressed in, a different, in six different ways. And I believe if we give ourselves to these things, we're going to start to see perfect unity. We're going to start to see that we can become one and that we're already on this journey of becoming one. The first is this. When I say grace and I'm talking about unity, the first expression of that is forgiveness. It is forgiveness. And uh, I've already pointed you there this morning. Because of what Christ has done for us, we can do the same for each other. We are, we are declared guilt-free because of what Christ has done for us. So let us be a community that gives that same freedom to everybody. Secondly, grace that accepts people. It's forgiveness and grace that accepts people. God fully accepts us into the family. The scripture uses these powerful words like we are adopted as sons into his family. Isn't that an amazing thing? He perfectly accepts us. And we can bring our concerns to him as our father, our needs, our failures, and his response towards us is always kind. And we are never separated from him because by grace we have full accept, acceptance in him. All right. So there's forgiveness. So let us forgive each other. There's full acceptance from the Father towards us. So let us fully accept each other and open our hearts to each other. That's why I believe that a multicultural church is not an impossible thing. A multi-generational church is not an impossible thing. Why? Because God has forgiven all people, regardless of their nationality or their culture or their creed. And God has accepted every single person, regardless of their nationality, their culture, or their creed. And because God has done that for all of us, we do that for each other. That's how it works. Fully accepting everybody. And so our dream as a leadership team is that this church will become increasingly multicultural. Why? Because heaven's going to be like that one day, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, full of people from all different colors and creeds and, and persuasions and nationalities, redeemed. And so let the church on earth begin to reflect what is already in heaven. And then, thirdly, this grace that I'm talking about includes the presence of God. God's presence. Our Father is not distant from us. He's not a God far removed. He is here. He's with us, isn't he? I mean, I love how Andy Ollerton put it that one time he preached here. He said, it's like there's a curtain here. And if we, God, is, God is not far away there. The curtain is here, and God is right here. He's just behind the curtain. And what we need to do is draw the curtain back, and then we see that he's right here. He's right with us. He's right here. And because he's right here, he's with us. Whatever we are doing, whomever we are with, he's here. And it's like God unzips our lives, doesn't he? And he comes to live inside of us by his Holy Spirit, and he kind of zips us up again. And he's inside us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's with us all the time. And that same sense of his presence 
him being with us all the time, is the thing that's going to help us when we're in a room and someone wants to slander one of our mates, isn't it? No, God, actually, you are here with me right now. I'm not going to tolerate this person speaking badly about my mate because he's your son. He's your daughter. She's, he's your daughter. She's your daughter. Amen? And fourthly, the kind of grace that I'm talking about says that God enables us. How, how many of you feel weak sometimes? That you just want to do the right thing, but you just don't always do the right thing. I feel like that a lot, eh? And yeah, you can put both your hands up because I would as well. Sometimes you're just in situations where you're trying to do the right thing. You know you've got to do the right thing and you feel so weak that you just feel your flesh is so weak. You ever felt like that? This is the powerful thing. The grace of God enables you to say no. God's grace enables you to say no. Sometimes our wills can be so floppy, isn't it? I said to a friend of mine the other day, we have sometimes very big men in the kingdom, huge physical specimens, very floppy little wool on the inside. It's like a puny little wool. How can that be? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not getting at anyone who's big, all right? <laughs> I'm just saying, we have this picture of masculinity, this specimen, this amazing physical specimen. But inside, if our will is a floppy little will, we're not men. <laughs> men have a strong will that can say no. When, it, when the, the, the situation requires. I want to encourage you men to develop, and women, develop the will on the inside so it matches the large physical specimen on the outside. <laughs> All right. The grace of God enables us to say no. And then, I'm so glad that God's grace turns people that are addicts into people that are free. I was, Paul says, I was a slave to sin, but I'm no longer a slave because of the righteousness of Christ that is in me. What is a slave? A slave is someone who cannot help themselves. If you're addicted, you cannot help yourself. You cannot break that thing. But Paul says, because of the righteousness of Christ, because of what Christ has done to me, I am no, for me, I am no longer a slave to sin. I am a new creation in Christ. The grace of God gives us the power to say no, and it turns us in a completely different direction and enables us to move in a better direction. And then this is my final point. This kind of grace that I'm speaking about this morning, it includes forgiveness, acceptance, the presence of God. It includes God enabling us and being able to say no. It brings us into a place of freedom. It delivers us. And finally, this kind of grace is a grace of completion. It completes things. It means that there will be a day when you and I will be fully restored in terms of who we were meant to be. There will be no more sin. There will be no more struggle. There will be no more struggles with people. Everything will be restored, and we will worship in the presence of God. Why? Because of His amazing grace. So when I speak to you about grace, and we're talking about happy football and unity, I mean by grace. I mean forgiveness. I mean acceptance. I mean the presence of God. I mean His enabling power in us to say no. I mean freedom. That we're no longer slaves to these things that bind other people up. We are free because of the grace of God. And ultimately our trust is that God would complete what He's begun 
in our lives because of his great love towards us and his grace towards us. Amen? I want to ask you, I want to ask you to respond this morning and I want to ask you simply, if, if you can see the picture of what I'm trying to paint this morning, say, Lord, I want to move towards that. Whether it's imperfectly, I'm not, I'm not perfect in these areas, but I want to move towards that kind of thing in my life. I want, to, I want this church to move towards being that kind of community. And I am asking for a commitment. If you want to commit to that vision this morning, that value of saying, this is how we want to do what we do. I'm not talking about the things we're doing this morning. I'm talking about the heart with which we do those things. Uh, it came out in our staff meeting on Friday. Someone just said, we want to get to where we are going together. I thought that was brilliant. We want to get to where we're going together. If you want to commit yourself to that, I want to ask you to stand. And we're going to pray. We're going to ask for God's power, God's enabling power. Let's raise our hands. That's just a sign of saying, God, we want to receive the fullness of your presence through the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we come to you as your sons and your daughters. We want to thank you, Lord, for what you're calling us into. We want to thank you, Lord, for what you've um, called us to do. But, Lord, this morning we want to thank you for the simple thing that you want us to get to those things together. You want us to be one. You want us to be perfectly one. You want us, Lord, to enjoy playing happy football together as a church. You want us to be those that are forgiving, accept, um, completely accepting of others, with the presence of God motivating us in every area of our lives, being able to say no to what we need to say no to and yes to what we say yes to, so that you can come and complete your perfect work in us. Jesus, as a community, as a, as a picture of this community, not everyone is here today, but Lord, as, as those that are here today, as a, a remnant of this church, we, we want to ask that you would give us power. We want to ask God that you would help us by your grace that this community would become more and more a place of kindness, a place of acceptance, because you have accepted us just as we are and you've forgiven us for everything that we've ever done that has been wrong. And so, God, we pray that the same grace that we have received from you so abundantly, so lavishly, like that picture of the oil just being poured over Penny. Um, my friend, Lord, I pray that you would lavish us with that same grace, that same power of your Holy Spirit, that we might be those that give that away to everyone that we meet, that truly people might taste and see that God is good and that God can be seen through his people. And so, Lord, we pray for this. We, we ask you that you come, that you would anoint us with power from on high to live a life that honors you in every way by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.